Welcome again to Trinity, those in person and those with us online. Joy to be able to gather together and go to the Word together, hopefully be encouraged together. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Revelation chapter 7. We are in the last book of the Bible in a series that's focused on the return of the King. Uh, This book of the Bible is for our encouragement to hold on in the midst of a life is hard, evil is real world. That our means of holding on are found in God and God alone. God is in control and Jesus wins. And so let us set our thoughts and our affections on him. And let us go and do that together as we consider all of Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to read the word. should be on the screen as well. Follow along if you can. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for the grace that you've poured out on our hearts and our lives, grace that you are even with us now. God, we pray that you'd be with us as we consider this passage together, 
that it would be for our encouragement that you would draw those who may be far near to see your goodness and your grace and your glory in the person and work of King Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. It is not the strength of your grip that will carry you, but the grip of his strength carrying you to the very end. And his strength will be your strength. And as you endure, you will find that you can keep enduring. Life is hard, but that is not all. Christ has you. Evil is real, but that's not the end of the story. Christ is. For every wearying moment, for every struggle, for every marginalizing rejection you experience, for every fierce opposition, for every alluring distraction, there is one greater than them all holding on to you. Friends, King Jesus says to you, to us, today, in the world You will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Revelation chapter 7 is an interruption of a timely encouragement for a wearied church, for a wearied people. Last week we were considering chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 8, the unfolding of history as King Jesus opened the scroll and fulfilled all of God's purposes for history. But we didn't get all the way through it. We had to skip to chapter 8 because there's this interruption, chapter 7. And this interruption is for our encouragement. This interruption is to strengthen us, to give us a, a glimpse of the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls in the glory and presence of our King. Because life indeed is hard. The world we live in is evil. There's hardships aplenty. And sometimes you probably just want to like coast. It's too much. Or the distractions seem too easy. Then plodding along, slogging along, following Christ. But there's good news in this chapter for us. This good news is that Christ is holding on to us. The good news is that God will not let us go. Because God holds us fast, we can hold on too. He holds us fast. He holds us fast with a full, final, and forever salvation. And that's kind of how we're going to look at our passage here in Revelation 7. We're going to see how he holds us fast with first a full protection. He's holding us fast with a full protection. He also holds us fast with a final victory. And then lastly, we'll see and hopefully know in increasing measure over the course of our lives, he will hold us fast with a forever joy. That's a picture of this salvation. It's full, it's final, it's forever. And it's for our encouragement, even in the right now of our lives. Let's consider that together as we move through this passage. First, 
He will fold, hold us fast with a full protection. In response this morning, we're going to sing a new song. It's an old song, sort of re-earthed, given a little bit more of a modern tune, but it's called He Will Hold Us Fast. And as we move through our passage, and as we consider these points, He Will Hold Us Fast with a full protection, a final victory, and a forever joy. I want us to just hear the words. I think they'll be on the screen. Hear the words of our song that we will sing together. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. And he does so. And it's for our encouragement right now that we know that, think on that, have our affection stirred by that truth. What we find in these first eight verses of chapter 7 is a full protection in that God seals who he saves. God seals them up, those he saves. And so, may we be encouraged by this. Let's look together at verse 1 of chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. Apparently, they decided to not do that last night and this morning. And sorry, all. World's ending, I guess. I don't know. Um, I shouldn't have done that. It came into my head, and it was not in my notes. That no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. What's holding back? What in the world is going on here? Well, as I said already, Revelation 7 is an interlude within the seven seals, which is the symbolic picture of the unfolding of history. God is in control, and Jesus wins. King Jesus is the one fulfilling God's purposes in history. And, and Revelation 7 is an interruption to that, an interlude of encouragement for the church to keep holding on. In fact, you can look at Revelation at 7 excuse me, as a very unique angle of the entire church age. The days of history will indeed be hard, and opposition to God's people will be fierce. And that opposition will eventually, in some cases, in many cases, take their lives. And it's a picture of the church age in which it will be facing these challenges. But it doesn't face those challenges without the reality without the encouragement that God is in control and he is holding fast to his people. The holding back has to do with the fulfillment of God's redemptive purposes in the person and work of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, that is his life, death, and resurrection, and then the sending of the Spirit to apply all that God has purposed for us and fulfilled for us in Christ. Now that it has arrived, this we find is God's full protection for his people, for his redeemed. This chapter shows that God's redeemed are signed, sealed, and delivered. And I don't mind putting a Stevie Wonder song in your head. Look at verse 3. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. In John's day, 
sealing had a threefold purpose. It was, first of all, protection from tampering. Sealing also, secondly, signified ownership. And to seal something established authenticity. And so through the gospel promised and accomplished and applied, God has sealed his redeemed people. The redeemed are spiritually protected. They can't be tampered with in a way that ruins their status. The sealing means the redeemed belong to God. He marks their lives with this seal of ownership. No one can dislodge you from God's possession. And sealing means the redeemed have an authentic faith because of the grace of God and the object of their faith, the person and work of Jesus Christ. God spiritually protects his people. He seals them up. And while life is hard and evil is real, it can't break or undo God's sealing authority and his grace and his power. Maybe you feel weak and wobbly in your faith. Maybe you feel worn down and run down. Maybe you feel apathetic and distant. Those are all real things that we can experience in this life between cross and glory. And sometimes we can even be distracted by the allurements of the world. And maybe you feel that. And maybe you wrestle with guilt and shame that you sort of drag around behind you in life because you feel torn and pulled in many different directions. And then you start to add all of these things up and you start questioning your faith. And maybe you question whether or not you believe any of this. And you start to wonder, is God even there? And if he is, why isn't he doing something in your life? And maybe you wrestle with these very deeply and, 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 and intently. Those are all real and possible things that you can experience in this life. And feel overwhelming. And it's in those moments we come back and we have to tell ourselves something that is true. And that's something that is true, truer than true, is, is what true things are compared to. And that is the character and nature and power and grace of God. The character and nature of God is our plumb line when we feel all those things. The power and grace of God are real and tangible and he will hold us even as we struggle. Our sense of encouragement in this life is found in the God who protects his people. Harm may befall us, but nothing can dislodge us from God's grip. And we must remember and rehearse this truth to our hearts because they're easily bruised, easily distracted. And we need the truth of the character and nature of God and the power of his grace all the more. We also see here in this spiritual protection that it's all of God's redeemed. Look at verse 4. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000. Again, as I've stressed as we've moved through Revelation, it is a book that is very unique in all of the Bible. 
It's a letter written to the church. It also contains within it prophetic aspects, things that are um, direct from God through a messenger to the church, but also things that are yet to come. And then it is also, uh, a funny word, apocalyptic, meaning it's also giving us a glimpse of, glimpse of the very end. That's very unique. That's a very unique letter in all of the Bible. And those, those distinctions that it's a letter, it's prophetic, and it's apocalyptic, it all, they all carry literary things with them. One of the things that's most common in those kinds of, those kinds of writings is that they tend to be very highly symbolic. And so when we come across things like 144,000, or last week that, that silence for half an hour in heaven, we, we immediately think very, you know, woodenly when it comes to that. But here, 144,000 is, is really a, a symbolic number representing the fullness or all of God's redeemed people. It is a picture of all of the redeemed. And the imagery associated with this breakdown is that none of God's redeemed will be lost. None of God's redeemed will not make it to the end. They all will make it. They all will be with Him in glory. Not one will be forgotten, overlooked, misplaced, lost, disregarded. Every one from the one whose faith is so bold and strong that he will take on anything to the one whose faith is so weak and thin and frail, yet all of them will make it to the very end. Every one. I know if I'm in a room full of people who are skewed more toward the weak, this is great encouragement for us. If I'm in a room full of people who scale more toward the strong, time to turn that down a little bit. <laughs> we desperately need to see that here in this imagery, the fullness and the allness of God's redeemed will make it to the very end. Not one of the redeemed will slip through God's grip. And additionally, what we find here, we won't read through it again, but we find the 144,000 are placed in these regiments, like in a military. The redeemed people of God are lining up behind their king. A king who leads us, his people, to victory. He will hold us fast with a full protection, because that full protection comes as a final victory. A final victory. Consider the words to this hymn. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He will not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will Hold me fast. He'll hold us fast with a final victory. And the finality of salvation is just that, one of victory. As we turn the, the, the 
vision moves and, and you, you see it from a different angle, we find this 144,000 is, is certainly representative of the, all of redeemed people of God because now they're described as a multitude that no one can count. We have a great multitude. Look at verses 9 and 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a scene. What a scene here at the very end. All of God's redeemed people rallied around their king, their victor, Jesus. There are some features about this multitude that are important for us to see. First, it's a no-one-could-number kind of multitude. The expanse of the multitude is only eclipsed by the expanse of God's grace to bring together such a multitude of people. I mean, it would be overwhelming in sight to see all of the redeemed from all of history gathered around the king. The fact that God would save one is astonishing enough, but that his grace and his power is so sufficient that it saves a multitude that can't be counted. It's staggering. It's, over, it's overwhelming. No one can number it. Can't put a limit on the nature and character and power of God's grace. Second feature that we find about this multitude it's that it's incredibly diverse. It's from everywhere, every nation, all tribes, all people, all languages. That's staggering. It tells us some things that's very important for us. One, no nation, no tribe, no people, no language has the corner market on God's redemptive promise. Making all nations, all tribes, all people, all languages of the redeemed equally valid to go about championing the gospel. No singular culture has the market on what it means to make much of the gospel. Secondly, we also see that eternity, forever, glory, heaven, doesn't wash out this diversity into some generic form. They're recognized in glory. This great diversity of the redeemed will be forever evident. Staggering and amazing. And all of it is because God purposed and promised to do so. I mean, it goes all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. In Genesis 12, God made a promise to a man named Abram, who was later named Abraham. In Genesis 12, it says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That promise grows and expands and gets greater articulation as the Bible progresses. It's fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and it is evident in glory. It's an amazing thing. Nature and character of God's grace. For our encouragement, it brings about this final victory. And because we keep looking at it like this, we can hold on. God is not done. He is at work in you and in this world. And last feature that we see here of this great multitude is really that of victory. It's the 
finality of salvation is victory. Consider the description of them standing, clothed in white, holding palm branches, and with the shouts of salvation. All of that marks that of a victorious army, a victorious multitude. So just as I said in the previous point, this multitude was regimented like a military behind King Jesus. It's not a military going out for war. It's a military that's going on a parade because the war is over and victory is won. This is a joyous moment in scene of the redeemed. It is a parade. An incredible parade. Now I know, I know the Boston greater areas had a lot of victorious parades over the last couple of decades. Probably so blasé and like boring now at this point for most of you. But for my area of the world in Northeast Ohio, we have one parade. And that one parade in the summer of 2016 was so incredible, 1.3 million of us came out to it. In the heat, in the humidity, dehydrated, but oh, so glorious. After the end of this, life is hard, evil is real world. When we feel so worn down, worn out, there will be a joy unlike any other. There will be a rest and a hope that becomes sight that will be so overwhelming. The finality of our salvation is victory. So hold on. That victory gives way to joy. A forever joy. Forever joy. Because, as we'll sing here in a moment, for my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight, when he comes at last. Life is hard. Evil is real, but victory is so, so sweet. Look at verses 13 and 14. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Tribulation is great, but Jesus is greater. The hardship of our lives is overwhelming, but Jesus overwhelms it. Evil can seem so oppressive, but Jesus, by a word, crushes it. Now, we may wonder when it says the great tribulation, what is it referring to? Some say this is a period of especially intense persecution toward the end or at the end days kind of thing. However, this chapter is canvassing the whole of the church age. And it's better really to see it as a description of the days between the advents of Jesus, between his birth and his return. All these days are marked with all these sorts of hardships, 
all these sorts of challenges, all these sorts of evils. They come and they go. Nations rise and fall, wars and persecution and so forth and famine. All the things that we considered last week in the unfolding of history, they come and they go throughout all of history. And we have to remember that this letter was also sent in John's day to be an encouragement in John's day, just as our day and all the days in between. Revelation is to be relevant for the first century and the 21st century and the 41st century if that's what God intends it to be. And so we must remember that there is application throughout all of the church age and that application is one of great joy and encouragement. That when this day, this age is done, there will be great victory and forever joy. And that forever joy is bought and purchased and paid for by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb secures for us the forever joy because the blood of the Lamb and only the blood of the Lamb overcomes the wrecking work of sin. Your personal sin, the sin-soaked world in which we live in, all of it, the only hope to overcome that is by means of the blood of the Lamb. No matter how great the struggle you may have with sin, no matter how great the tribulation in a life is hard and evil is real world, no matter how great those may be, the blood of the Lamb is so sure that there will be a forever joy for all the redeemed. And that by the means of that Lamb, we too will be restored to forever joy. Look at verses 15 through 17. Therefore, They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Old theologians call this forever blessedness. A forever joy in the peace and presence of God. But really it's also a restoring picture of the Garden of Eden. Here we find the forever joy is in the context of a restored and greater Eden. We find the language of Genesis 1 and 2 in this description. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see Adam and Eve were to serve God in the garden. That they enjoyed the presence of God. And that the effects of sin that made the sun scorching and, and, and the, uh, the, the world hard and the work hard, all of that will be no longer felt. And there's a water that brings life. And springs forth forever. And God will wipe away all the tears. That's an interesting expression there. Not only do we see that it is a restoration of what was lost in Eden, but it's even made greater. And final, 
and full and forever. That expression, God will wipe away all the tears, not only does that hit our hearts, but it also clues us in as we move through Revelation. It's a description of the very end. It's a language reserved for the very end. Theologians call it eschatological language. But it's all about the return of the king and the ushering in of glory. There's no more shedding of tears because there's no more life is hard, evil is real world. Has been restored, made new, and forever joy will be our experience. These are encouraging words, interrupting a hard breakdown of a life is hard, evil is real world. And I hope they're encouraging words for you and I because we can feel beat down and worn down and distracted or discouraged and that could just happen every other day we could feel the toss of that each day we can feel the nearness and presence of God with us and the struggle with sin we can feel weary from hardships that we face maybe it's physical ailments that have just really gnawed at our joy and just beat us down or maybe it's spiritual struggles that we face and and we feel overwhelmed by them or maybe maybe we just simply feel lonely unknown uncared for we might feel all host of these things and as we feel them and we will in this life go ahead and interrupt your feelings with an interlude for your encouragement that God will hold you fast to the very end Take heart, my friends. King Jesus has overcome the life is hard, evil is real world. Set your thoughts. Interrupt your thoughts with that truth. Interrupt your affections with that joy. Interrupt your purpose for living with that perspective that the one who brings about the full, final, and forever salvation of your life is with you and will not let you go. And be that to each other. Go ahead. You have my permission. Interrupt each other with this encouragement. Interrupt each other's lives and say, brother, sister, I see that you are weary and worn down, but we have good news. Let's hold on. It's okay to interrupt each other's lives with such encouragement. Let's do that. Interrupt mine, please. And don't be mad if I interrupt yours. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would do that work in us, that you would help us to see the vastness and fullness and greatness of your grace, that we would know right now in an encouraging way that you will indeed hold on to us. May that truth propel us and strengthen us and encourage us forward. Of course, God, we pray that our grip of holding on to you would strengthen, but may that be an overflow of our awareness of your grip on our hearts and lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.